Hi, I'm Joe. And I'm Dave. And we're the hosts of the Chasing Tomorrow podcast, where we bring you stories that delve into the science and spirit behind intriguing people doing extraordinary things. Welcome to the Chasing Tomorrow podcast. This week it's episode 94. On this week's episode, we have the most decorated, most dominant female in the history of obstacle course racing, Amelia Boone. Now, the list is long, but here's a few. Three-time world's toughest mudder champion, Spartan race world champion. She's got over 30 victories and over 50 podiums to her name. Incredible. Absolutely incredible. But today we talk with Amelia about grit and determination, uh, about balancing her career as a corporate attorney at Apple with performing on the razor's edge in her endurance sport, all while doing this, while managing and also being a publicly known figure when it comes to her issues and and challenges dealing with her eating disorder. There are so many takeaways from this conversation so without further ado, welcome to the Chasing Tomorrow podcast, Amelia. Thanks for having me on. Great to talk to you guys. Well, it's been a while, Amelia. Uh, we've been really interested always in having you on the show because you have a great story that sort of, I think, continues to bloom uh, in just so many different ways, um, you know, that I think we're going to give a shot, as you know, to see if we can talk about some stuff that hasn't hit every other podcast uh, as we go along. I always sort of find it curious, you know, that your career stuff, which is pretty amazing too, doesn't get talked too much about, but I'd like to see how that intersects. With <laughs> well, your that's also because I think as an attorney, there's a lot that I can't talk about. Of I can course. say I'm an, I'm right. an attorney. That's it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. We don't really say anything about what we do. Right. So, yeah. Fair enough. Um, I'll be use some of your running time to figure out some of those contractual issues you're working totally, on. Totally. <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I think, you know, if we did like, uh, I'll just do my version of what I thought as I've read about you and listened to other podcasts. So you, you know, you grew up sort of in your normal way. Then you end up getting into this opt- obstacle course racing. You do really well. You get this surge of energy, become something that everyone has, you know, a uh, big image of, you know, cover of a magazine, all that, you know, you take on other big activities, but somewhere along the way, you know, your life came through that, you know, like it starts to show and then you start talking about it. And so, so if, if that was like this thread, what I'm sort of curious about is when we, you know, Dave at his you know, childhood, I had mine, you know, we rarely think too much about it. I wrote this book a long time ago, and I was trying to figure out, like, how did I end up how I ended up? Like, you don't really know the answer to that question. And it still evolves, you know, you can go back to your mother and say, what did you do to me? Like, why am I like this? And they don't have an answer either. Every, every therapist is like, what was your childhood trauma? Right. You know, and then you get terrified. I'm not a parent, but then you get terrified as being a parent because you're like, oh, God, I'm going to screw up my children. But anyway, don't think everybody screws happens, up their children. Right? No, it's way it's more not. complicated than yeah, that. Totally. So, so I think the question, like, as you sort of just give for the people who haven't heard the Amelia Boone story, it'd be fun yeah. to just have you tell us that. But, but as you think about it, are there, in this retrospective view, are there moments where you started to realize that there were other things happening, maybe you didn't say anything, but they were developing and then soon to one day, you know, blossom, explode or something like that? Yeah, you know, that's such a great question because I remember as a child, okay, this is going to feel like a therapy session for a second. I love but that. Yeah, uh, I remember as a child just understanding from a very early age that I was different, that there was something quote unquote wrong with me. And I don't, I don't blame my parents at all for that, but like <laughs> that I very much, you know, from, I was diagnosed with obsessive compulsive disorder when I was seven years old. I very much like just felt different. I couldn't go and spend the night at friends' houses because I was always scared about things. If I didn't get to bed by a certain time, there's this weird obsession of mine. And I just felt like my brain was just, I don't know, didn't work like the other kids. Mm 
Um, and now, I mean, that was from like a pretty early age. And then I, but I also at that same time, like I was a good athlete all growing up. Like, and I was very, very active. I was like a jack of all trades kind of kid as I was always kind of on the competitive traveling teams and doing all of that. And um, really good at pretty much everything I touched, but never like phenomenal, like never the best, but just good. Um, and so I think that that kind of kept me grounded in some ways is that that having that outlet of sports, um, you know, it, it made me feel less kind of that there was something happening in my brain, you know, or that there was something a little bit different. Um, and what we did know actually from an early age is that I had phenomenal endurance, um, that we would like play soccer tournaments, we'd have four games. And at the end of the day, I could still run around the field and like be just as energetic as ever. And the other kids were dragging, um, which I probably should have taken a sign to like what it was to come in my future. <laughs> oddly, and oddly enough, I never, like, I didn't run track or cross country or anything like that. Um, I was like, why would you run if you weren't chasing the ball? Yeah. Um, but I think, you know, sport kind of kept me grounded in that regard. Uh, but I very much, the story that I never really like told people until a few years ago recently was people like, well, why didn't you play in college? Why didn't you play in like, and things like that is that, you know, I was diagnosed with uh, an eating disorder when I was 16. I was hospitalized. I was in and out of treatment facilities in high school. I couldn't, I was so sick and so medically unstable. I could not compete in sports. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's always been, you know, well, and it's a weird story to tell, but like fast forward through in and out of treatment facilities by the end of college, I felt like I had a pretty good handle on it. Like I thought I was doing okay, you know, and I'd gone to law school. I was going to law school and I was going to like bury that past. I wasn't going to talk about it anymore. I didn't want to be the person with problems. You know, I didn't want to mm -hmm. be the person that was like the sickly person or like the weird, like the one who had mental illness is how I thought of it. Um, and so when I got into obstacle racing and when I started gaining fame and winning championships it was this weird thing where people would ask about my past and my history and you know well why didn't you play and so and so but I I always felt I was like well, I can't like like I've, I've that part is no that is no longer me you know mm -hmm. but it felt weird there was this weird like cognitive dissonance to actually not also be able to talk about that part of my life you know I felt like I was almost like lying to people to try and like hide the fact that like I was very, very sick for a very long time, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, you know, and then as the wheels, as the eating disorder started to catch up to me, I think, and I started sustaining a lot of injuries in my mid thirties, um, I started to kind of realize like, I, like, I, I can't ignore this anymore, you know? Um, and then that was when uh, about three years ago, I actually like went back into treatment because I had like started to relapse again. I was like, I was taking sport away from me. Sport is the one thing that I like, not the one thing, but it's a huge part of my life. Mm -hmm. And so then like I, I needed to kind of, I think a lot of people admire athletes that can compartmentalize everything, you know, and just mm -hmm. be like, I am an athlete and I'm only an athlete. And I have never been able to do that. And so I think through all of this, like the other parts of my life, as you're talking about, like started to come poking through into the athletic world, but they needed to, because yeah. that's like how I feel most like myself, you know? Well, yeah, and, and Amelia, I mean, let's go back a little bit again to back yeah. to your teenage years, because, you know, when you talk about the obsessive compulsive, you know, nature of when you were that sick, when you were a teenager, mm -hmm. you know, do you think that, you know, maybe in part you know, a lot of the behaviors and your, your actions and, 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 and some dysfunction, you maybe even led to your athletic dominance, um, maybe at a later time where, yeah, okay, at that time and period, where we also see a lot of youth athletes fizzle out, because, you know, when you can, you do. And let's face it, when you're a teenager, you have a hell of a lot of time. And, and a lot of parents will push their kids heavily into sport, but you really couldn't. And so maybe, you were a late bloomer 
and it worked out for you because of those aspects. What do you think of that? Yeah, you know, that's an interesting question because it's also kind of stems, you look at it from the, what's the quote about like, you know, your greatest strength is also your downfall or something, something along those yeah. lines. Right. And so all of those, all of those characteristics, the obsessive compulsive characteristics and everything that like all made me very successful as a student, as an attorney, as an athlete, it, it also can be used for chaos and disorder, no you know? Doubt. And so it's interesting that like you can harness them for good, but then they can also start to like take over. But I also do believe like to your point about being a late bloomer, like taking on like, yeah, my coach always says, he's like, you know, you didn't really start running until you were 26, 27. Like you have got a lot more miles left in your legs because like you were not abusing them all throughout high school and college. No and doubt. so that's, that's what I'm like, all right, all right. I'm going for like the master's you know, the, the master's category is like, never where I'm at. Yeah, 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 yeah. I got, I got a year and a half and then I'm going for it. <laughs> I think, you know, and this is, I've been sort of wanting to, to ask you this as well, which is, so we've now done 90 plus episodes. We've talked to, you know, gold medalists. We've talked to, you know, Navy SEAL. We talked to, you know, the best fastest runners in the world, all these amazing people, right? We started with the idea that we were going to talk to intriguing people who do extraordinary things. And I think though that what, if I was to make some very broad sweeping conclusion, which is that you only really want to look at people through one lens as the world, as a, as, a, as a viewer, as a fan, as a friend, you really, this is a little strong, but you really don't wanna to know too much. You know, like, oh, wow, Dave's run across Canada and he's going to break another record and he did that on the treadmill. But what about the time that he ran across Alberta and ended up in the hospital? Like what really happened? Like, do we really, can we really dig into that? Or is it really not our business? Like, I don't know. And, and so I think there is a lot more complexity that we don't tend to really see because somehow all of the, the skills and the, the training and everything does show for a good outcome. But, you know, look, I mean, Michael Phelps is one of the great stories of, you know, here's a guy who won more gold medals than any human ever probably will. And he's clinical depression, you know, sitting in the middle of that, like ha, most of us would be like, that's impossible. And, but then we mostly ignore it too, right? Like this isn't a minor point. I think our system is imperfect. I don't think there is something other than if you can measure something quantitatively, you put that as a sort of the judgment. Like, oh, you ran the 100 yard dash in 9.5 seconds. That's it. Like that's pretty quantitative. But to do that, there's so much else, right? There's that person who had to carry to that. And, and so, I think, you know, maybe what you've been doing is trying to sort of say that to people, which is that, yeah, like, that's great. I'm really excited. And I like being, you know, really a great athlete. And it's important to me. But just people don't judge that I'm telling you about this other stuff. But it is just real. Like, there isn't much we can do about that. Do you think that part of why you want to tell the story is so that people will hear it more that you're at least bringing it into the your first blog post was really very significant move in that direction what do you think about this idea yeah i mean i i i think that like humans we're such complex human beings and i think i think you nailed it and especially the issue i think with social media too now is that people feel this need to like fit into a certain like we think in archetypes we think in roles we think in you know and i think that it's much easier like you said to think of somebody based off of one thing but nobody is one thing, not a single one of us. No. And, and I think that, you know, you hear a lot more athletes talking about that now, you know, with the documentary, The Weight of Gold and things like that, where they are, you are seen as your accomplishments and like nothing else beyond that. Right. And, um, and I think that like, for me, honestly, it was just this strange pull in so many different, it was like, I am like winning world championships, but I am doing it in an extremely unhealthy way that is abusing my body. I'm not taking mm -hmm. care of my body. And I know all of this, yet everybody is like, 
you are the pinnacle of athleticism. And I'm right. like, I'm not, <laughs> not, you know, mm-hmm. I want to do this differently. Um, and I can't be the only one out there, you know? No, no. <laughs> so, yeah. Absolutely. And Amelia, I mean, to that point as well, too, like, and this is what I love about what you're bringing into the world is you're bringing, you know, I I think a lot of bravery and vulnerability into the mix where we talk about, I mean, I forget what the statistic in America was, but how many people have eating disorders? It's it's absolutely astonishing. Mm -hmm. But they tend to see people like you as being, you know, you know, a goddess you know, of, of, of your body, of, of pure health. I know right now with my upcoming run across Canada, that we're going to have a documentary film co- crew coming along with as well too. And people seem to think that I have, my mental strength is so strong. But in fact, that's what this documentary is all about is how I am incredibly mentally, you know, off, right? And so what's really interesting about this is what I love the storytelling is like, you know, you know, when you read People Magazine, I don't think probably any of us read People Magazine, but, you know, there's that. that we were too. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. There's that but we all, that says, we just don't admit it. Yeah. I know. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I've got one right, right here. Right now. <laughs> and so there's that article that says, you know, they're just like us. Right. And I think that brings a lot of, you know, um, comfort to people. I, I think even, you know, just what happened at the Academy Awards last week with will smith and and chris rock and he got offended and i was like dude i get offended too right like like we're all kind of doing the same type of thing here right and so you know let's go on let's let's start talking a little bit about the you know your your eating disorder throughout the years and 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 maybe some kind of either backlash or a lot of really positive comments have come in because i think that you have kind of opened a can of something that's very good in the world. Well, thank you. Yeah. And I think, you know, it was really interesting when I got out of my treatment facility and that was end of June, 2019. And I remember being like, I had taken a leave of absence from work. You know, I was gone for three plus months. I did it. I told my coworkers I had a medical issue. I didn't tell them what I didn't, you know, know. I didn't know at the time if I was going to talk about it, you know? Um, And just the thought of thinking, if I talk about this, I can't unring that bell, you know, like that will be out in the world. People could view me differently. There could be backlash people. I did have people and, you know, here's the thing is that 99% of the responses were completely supportive and overwhelming. And then you get the 1% that you focus on that are people being cruel. But I did have a few people who were like, who felt almost in a way betrayed by me mm-hmm. that I was living a lie that I was like putting out a lie out there. And that now by showing now by saying, Oh, I have an eating disorder that everything they thought of me wasn't true anymore. Mm-hmm. And which is an interesting, weird kind of parasocial relationship thing yeah. that I'm like, I wasn't lying to you. It's just like, does everybody have to put everything out into the world? Because I also think it's important to keep certain things to yourself at times. Um, and so, and that was kind of just an interesting thing to, I think to navigate, to be like, well, okay, like I am open and I'm an open book and I want to share everything. And also at the same time, like I don't have to. Um, and um but I do think it is this like strange thing where, yeah, overwhelmingly people were fantastic. I've had, I spoke to my treatment facility actually the other day, I did a podcast with them. Um, and they told me that they've had numerous athletes actually come to the program citing me as the reason, mm-hmm. which to me awesome. like is, I mean, I hate that there are that many people struggling, but like it means so much, you know, that like, okay, first of all, I'm not alone in this. Second of all, like people are stepping up and getting help, you know, and that's incredible. So. Well, yeah, you know, (laughs) it starts somewhere early in our lives when what we think matters is really not what really sustains, you know, at the end of the day, you know, the prom king and queen often do the worst in lives because they sort of their, their whole focus is on the things that don't really last. I mean, everyone sort of ends up sort of way later in your life, not exactly where you were when you were 16. So, so we get 
I think a little bit diluted in, in early going. And then we get rewarded if we're very good at something, play football or OCR, whatever it might be. And then we get rewarded for that, which again, only measures one part of us. And I think sometimes we're just afraid that what will happen is if people know, right? That's I think what you go through. I had uh, been blogging while well, I've been blogging forever. And I had a race that uh, turned out to be um, pretty bad situation with hyperthermia and getting lost on the course. And, and here I am out there almost freezing to death. Luckily I was found on the course and I kept thinking, I'm gonna have to write about this in my blog that I didn't finish the race. That's all I kept thinking about. Like how mm -hmm. ridiculous that I was like, then people will think that I'm not that good. That's what I was thinking. And I wrote it, it was like putting the send button was just really hard. <laughs> Well, it happened, everyone's like, oh my God, I'm really glad for once you didn't finish because mm -hmm. we don't want you killing yourself because we think you're going to. And so, so, so we're like even wound up the wrong way on that. Like we actually think that we're going to get one reaction. We get the reaction we didn't expect, which is the reaction we should get, which is why we should have said it in the beginning. But we're so confused by what we're trying to put into the world sometimes that, you know, you have to do it. Like what you did is so important. And I don't care about the 1% or the 5% who are the, the doubters. They're, they're there anyway, regardless. Like, and there's not much, sadly, we can do about them. But the rest of us, all of us have to realize that it's, you know, the, the, your, your community will support and love you no matter what. It's not because you won a race or because you were a lawyer, right? It's because you're who you are. And I think that's a journey we all have to get onto and maybe be a little more open. Because sometimes what happens is you wait for someone to say something, but maybe we could ask some questions and we could all honestly answer. Maybe we'll find, you know, that we'll resolve some stuff a little sooner than right. too late. I mean, it was, I think one of the most, what I said, it's been almost three years now. And one of the most surprising things to me is actually how much more like I feel like I'm able I used to think that I tried to relate to people by winning. Like I wanted to be admired by everybody. When I was like winning world championships and everything, like people would admire me and respect me. But I also think they were kind of scared of me in a way. Mm -hmm. And like, I don't want to say that this was a weird fall from grace, but because I don't see it that way, but in a way it, it, it does. And people like relatable. They People like relatable because we, at the end of the day, we all struggle with something and it may number of people reach out to me like, Hey, look, like never had eating issues, but I have been in recovery for alcoholism for like 20 years. And like everything you say speaks to me and you just start to see you're like, Oh God, we're all just stumbling around trying to figure this out together, but we all don't want to admit it, which is so backwards. <laughs> yeah. And that's the opposite of bravery, isn't it? You know, yeah. and, and where we all go, well, no, 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 I've got this. And I don't feel pain I could you know run a backyard race forever I could but ultimately when it comes to the world number one most dominant obstacle course racer in the world moving forward and saying hey guys yeah me too um that's 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 huge I think that that sends a signal and plants a seed in 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 a lot of people um you know when it comes to you when you were dominating um, absolutely with the with the obstacle course racing and, and your ultra endurance sport and and on and so forth you you kind of mentioned a little bit that you know people were a little bit you know afraid and I, I have to admit Amelia as well too when I when I saw you at backyard in in 2018 or 2019 or whatever it was yeah, yeah I was like oh my god that's Amelia Boone um, that I was so intimidated I was like can I wonder if I said hi you know and so then yeah. but you were hanging out with a couple of people that I knew and I was like oh hey then you know then I can go over and say hi to the girls and and oh mm -hmm. hi hi Amelia and you were actually super approachable but I also noticed myself around other people who felt the same way that I did I was like oh my god like how and so maybe you saying and doing something like this being as open and vulnerable was basically saying hey everybody you know what I am relatable and, and, and come and talk to me. Is, has that been a, 
you know, a, a, an occurrence before at, at races and, and in your life where people see you as such a strong personality that they kind of keep you at a bit of a distance. Yeah, it's funny, actually. I, uh, I remember I, I had a nickname kind of an obstacle racing. People would say I was kind of an ice queen. Um, which is funny because like they would see me at races, like laser focused, you know, like getting ready. And I, the funny thing and like think that I was very standoffish. The funny thing is, is I am just pretty insecure and socially awkward in big group situations. And so what is my, what is insecurity actually comes off as me being standoffish, but in the other, I'm just, I'm just scared. You know, it's not like, I don't want to talk to these people. It's like, I just don't feel cool enough to go up and talk to them. Myself. Which is so funny because everybody's doing that, right? I so know. I doing that to you and you're probably doing that to me. And we ran a, a loop or two together. Uh -huh. and we, we, we talked the whole time. We, we had a great time. Yeah, I know. And it's just so funny because I think that everybody feels that way. They're like, oh no, you know, or they're scared. Like they're, I, I, I think there's way more of an issue with people being insecure than with people being like overly brash and confident nowadays right. in this world. Um, and so it is just kind of a reminder to me too, that what a person puts out in the world, like I'm not standoffish and like, who I don't want to talk to you. And in, 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 in my mind, it was like the opposite when I was just as scared of approaching people. Um, which is just so fascinating, you know, and I'm sure people of all, you know, regardless of like how famous you are, what you've accomplished, feel very similarly, like everyone's going through this big kind of imposter syndrome phase. Amelia, I mean, when it comes to the, you know, the insecurity piece, you know, mm -hmm. what do you think? Do you think that we, you know, put people and, and, and situations and, and titles on, on too big of a pedestal and, and maybe is social media a big part of that? I, I think we do. I think, I think we're afraid. I think I have been afraid in the past of not living up to what people's expectations would be. Right. Um, or I had this thing, you know, that if I did people only like me because I was winning races, you know, like did people, did people only want to be around me because I was a really good athlete? And the funny thing is, is I never used to think that, you know, I happened into athletics later on. Like when I was a 25 year old law student, I never thought, you know, I didn't have my identity wrapped up in athletics, mm -hmm. but as it started to be that way, and that's what people knew me for all of a sudden, I was like, God, if, if I don't win anymore, like, would people still want to hang out with me? And, um, so it's just this weird thing that I really kind of like had to unpack around that. Um, it's just like, well, why are people nice to me, you know, and would they be that way if I wasn't this athlete, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think that it's interesting that you said imposter syndrome, because I do think sometimes we create a category and we become more uh, of affinity to it because of that. Because, um, you know, you, you break it apart and you could say it's about confidence, imposter syndrome. It could be about just sort of, you know, one's own perspective of themselves. But maybe it's because you don't know what the measures are anyway that would make you be something so that you say, oh, I'm not good enough to do that, even though you're doing that. So you're, uh, but I do think it is something that's happening more and more which is that we are trying to create something that's really not sustainable. You know, mm -hmm. we know that Instagram for young females is really a bad situation. You know, they're taking 150 pictures of themselves to try and find the best picture and or some other mechanism. So I do think we have to, you know, sort of dial it back a little and, you know, in our own communities sort of try to, yeah, I, I don't think any of us want to say like 73rd place is the most important thing either, right? You know, performance matters, but it isn't the only defining characteristic that the person and we can learn more about them and what they do. Like one of the cool things uh, that you do is you foster puppies. And I can't imagine how anyone could say anything bad about you doing that, Amelia. I just don't even know. But You would be surprised. I know they do. Like when I was a teenager, I wanted to have a dog, but we couldn't. So I used to go to the pound and walk the dogs, you know, 
So I thought I was doing my part, but you really do an amazing service there for these poor animals and then families who get them. And so if you put that together with all the rest of the stuff and how you are, it'd be sort of hard to come back with like, well, yeah, I guess maybe on the course you could be the, the ice woman, but otherwise you're really pretty good role model for a deeper human who's really just trying to do the best we can as we go along. You know, uh, do you, like, as you think about that part of your life, you know, which is not measurable, I guess you could say how many dogs you brought in, which I don't even know if it's countable anymore. Uh, I think I'm about over 40 at this point. Wow. About one sleeping right next to me right now. <laughs> that's pretty cool. So do you think in some way that's helping you sort of, you know, in your own just sort of conscience feel a little better that this is, I am bigger, broader than this one piece and it helps me sort of balance it out. And then you can still go run hard and compete and all that, but it helps yeah, I mean, I think absolutely. I, if there's one thing that I've learned, especially from multiple injuries and in doing this, is that if your entire self worth and happiness is tied up in one activity, mm. it's going to be really, really hard for you. You know, like mm -hmm. it, when inevitably, like you can't do that anymore. I mean, or do that how, like, to the extent that you like it, you know? And so, I think for me also, I tend to be so in my head about a lot of things, you know, like I feel like I'm in my brain at all times and a way for me to get out of my head and to stop overthinking is to focus on taking care of something else. Mm. And, um, like, you know, that could be focusing on other humans or for people that have kids, that's your kids. And for me, I just, I found dogs were a great way, were a great way for me to do that. Um, and uh, so it does kind of like give me, it gives me something else. And I think that that's so key for everyone, you know, to not have your entire identity revolve around just one thing. Right. And also that the, the, the flip side of that is that I think that we feel so pigeonholed into one identity. If it's, it's like, I have been an ultra endurance person forever. And like, now I want to take up. I'm trying, like, I want to be world champion pickleballer. Mm, yeah. I would probably yeah, lose. Uh, yeah, I would. Uh, yeah, I do. My parents are great at it. Michael I, yeah, yeah. I know, Michael Lordian. That's where it came in my head, actually. But, like, and this is, this doesn't happen to Michael at all. But, like, I would, if I pivoted to that, if I stopped being, you know, like, doing what I do, like, I would probably lose a good portion of my, like, social media following because people are just, not interested in pickleball they because they followed me for endurance athletics mm -hmm. and so i think as people with social media we feel kind of pigeonholed yeah. into doing the things that like we were always good at and people know us for but then like we, if our interest changes as, as humans then like what happens to that and especially yeah. in a day and age where everybody feels like they need to have a brand that they need to be like just what is your brand and i'm like i don't know i'm a human I like a lot of different things, you know, yeah. and, uh, and we don't seem to encourage that or celebrate that at all. No. And, you know, Amelia, that bring, that's a really interesting point because that brings up like, uh, you know, just this past week, I was at my sports psychologist and, and, you know, she asked me a really simple question, but I had the hardest time answering it. And it took up like a half an hour of this one question. And that was, you know, Dave, what's your legacy? And I was like, uh, my, my first immediate response was, it's not really for me to decide. Like, it's for somebody sure. else to tell me what my legacy is. And she's like, okay, well, what's your identity then? You know, what's your self-worth? And I was like, oof, okay, then that solely is based upon what, how somebody else sees me. And so, you know, I started answering the best that I could at that time of what my legacy was. And it was interesting because I, I, it, it was very, very uh, performance-driven when it came to running. But, you know, that was really, you know, a, a lot of, you know, uh, results or records or whatever, whatever that was, right. And really, that's not a lot to hang your hat off of in the end of the day when it comes to, instead of quality of person, right, because do you really think my kids 
see me as a Canadian record holder or do you see them see me as a the guy with the best dad jokes I like to think I have good dad jokes <laughs> we all do right but you I'm know, sure yes right right so you know understand you know in that question of you know what is your legacy I find for a lot of people is a lot easier of an answer to answer question to answer than it is for elite endurance athletes. And so I'm going to put you on the spot, Amelia. You know, what's what's your legacy? Um, you know, it, what you know, what's a, what, what are the first things that come to mind? Well, that's not for me to decide. No. <laughs> I know, I know. No, you know, it's interesting because I see this in a few different ways is that I am very, very proud of like of being a pioneer of the sport of obstacle course racing, mm-hmm. you know, like I don't know where the sport goes, but like I was in on the ground floor. It was something that was 90% male at the time, still is very heavily male. Um, And like always just wanted to encourage women to be able to like get out there and just like, you can do that as well. You know, at the same time, I think for me, where I feel and I hope that I can make the biggest impact is through eating disorder in sport and athletes, you know, and that rewriting the idea that we have to look a certain way as an athlete that like performance is tied to your weight that like and everything and then learning how to untangle you know because for a lot of athletes their disordered eating is tied up with their sport and so it's like this is how we untangle it and I'm never going to actually proclaim to anyone that I have anything figured out but like for me, it's kind of like living authentically and transparently and going along my journey as I try and figure that out. Yeah, I, so, you know, and, and I think that lately we've been playing around with the two questions and I think the legacy connects to the second one. And you don't have to, you shouldn't have the answer because most people wouldn't contemplate it, but you should work on it, which is who are you? And then what's your purpose? And then who are you is not what you do, just so people who are listening in will think, oh, it's not what I do. Like, So what you said in your explanation of legacies, you're the worst pioneer. I like that. That's a who you are. Mm-hmm. Okay? That would be a good word that you could pick if whomever. You know, you could say, I'm a creator. You could say, I'm an explorer. You could say, you know, I'm a, you know, a caregiver. You know, and, and so, but if you're, explicit about it you don't have to be perfect in the answer but you can start to at least think about how you use your time because I think that really the resolution of a lot of what happens in life is how you use your time if you want to be something you got to use your time you can't just sit you can't be a consumer all the time that is not really a legacy you can't be a consumer and have a legacy then what your purpose does connect ultimately if your purpose which you said secondarily Amelia which is really cool is you know I want to help people understand eating disorders better, you know, and what they might be able to do with their lives. You know, that's purpose. And then if it stays, then it's legacy. That's really, then if we all do that, it's hard to be really bad if you answer those questions, because I mean, I guess someone could say something really bad, but we would think that we don't resolve to that often. And, and, you know, it'd probably be better if we ask these questions earlier in our lives than way later so that we can sort of orient our activities, who we hang out with, you know, the kinds of people, the willingness to sort of step in front um, and, you know, do what you did, which is, you know, at some point really isn't very risky, even though it feels it, right? You know, I always wonder like, how long did it take you to write your first, that big long blog post about your um, eating disorder and then but then how long did it take for you to decide to put it out into the world mm. and I think these are good things for people to hear because we all sort of sit there first step acknowledgement second do something third tell everyone I mean that could be a long time right I don't so so anyway you know in you don't have to answer the questions for people listening but you know you can play around with them and uh you know see what else comes out of that but yeah, on your, you know, who you were, of course, came through the eating disorder in a lot of ways. What was that process like trying to 
say I'm going to go out into the public? Did it take a long time to do that? I mean, it, it took several years, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, but it took several years of me. Part of that process was realizing I wasn't in the spot that I wanted to be with it. Part yeah. of the process was me realizing that I was slowly relapsing into my disorder and but it was like I I could kind of push it aside because I was doing so well with athletics that I was like well mm-hmm. clearly if I had a serious problem I wouldn't be winning all these races yeah and mm-hmm. the great thing about the human body is that it is so adaptable and compensates so much until all of a sudden it doesn't anymore mm-hmm. And I think for me, it was this few years of reckoning as I started, you know, I had six stress fractures over three years and just being like, okay, something isn't working, you know? And so for me, it was that entire process of like, I need to get myself in a good place first, like Mm -hmm. that entire awful analogy of like putting on your own face masks before, you know, um, like, but, uh, and then, you know, when I was in treatment and through there, I think I, the entire time I, I, I even talked about it to my, my primary therapist in treatment. I'm like, do I tell everybody where I was for three months? Do I talk about this to my sponsors and like, what happens? What are the repercussions of this? Um, so it, it took a while. It was a, it was a very long process. Um, and, uh, and a lot of, a lot of like going back and forth, but I think at the end of the day, I like knew in my heart, like I need to do this for me. So I feel like I am who I am on the outside matches with what I feel on the inside. And Mm -hmm. that is very important to me as a person. Yeah. Yeah. And Amelia, I mean, like when it comes to, you know, most people I find kind of live in the fours, fives and sixes out of a, you know, one to 10, right? You know, they don't take a lot of risks, but they don't get a lot of the reward. The best day of their life and the worst day of their life, really, there's not a big, big, big swing and a big difference. But I think that's one of the reasons why people are as interested in 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 in, in you, uh, because you do take those risks. You live in the nines and tens, and then you end up in the, the zeros and the ones, right? And you know, maybe- <laughs> No, that's a real way to put it. I've never I heard know. that before. It's so true, though. <laughs> and, I'm so, and I'm so sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I but, love it. But ultimately- <laughs> You know, I don't know if you were, if you, I don't know if you would necessarily have the opportunity to be as brave as you were, if you didn't get knocked down. And when you were just speaking last, all I had in my head was that I was broken, that you were broken. You're basically, mm-hmm. you know, multiple stress fractures, like you, you, things were falling apart around the seams and you, you, it, it was, you know, just as Lazarus Lake says, it's easy until it's really not. <laughs> And then you were exactly. broke. And so that bravery, you know, it's interesting because, you know, I, you, you notice people break and they fail. And then you take that, you know, that, that, that failure and either they slip into eternity with that and they become, you know, their worst nightmare, very depressed, very, or they take that and they can end up transcending. Um, do you feel that that blog post was your attempt, and not just attempt, you succeeded at it. Obviously, and we're, we're looking at you and we're just amazed by your strength and grace. Um, yeah, was that the transcendence and tra- transcendence that, uh, that, that I see? Yeah, you know, I think for me, it was coming into my own. I finally felt, I, I felt this freedom, like I had never, like felt before that I finally was like, that was like the start of my healing. And I also, I think I also blindly thought that doing that, I don't know, naively thought that doing that would suddenly solve all of my problems in my life. I would, (laughs) I would never get injured again. I would never be heartbroken again. I would never like, which is not the case, you know, but for me, it was the starting to get myself back up. And also knowing that, like, it's funny, I'm going to keep getting knocked down in life. We're all going to keep getting knocked down. You know, I'm going to like have another injury. I'm going to like have something hard happen, but like, there's never a thought in my mind, like to not 
crawl out of that hole and to keep going and going back after what I love, you know? And I hope that I carry that spirit with me until like the day that I die, you know? So I'm going to try to connect two things, Dave. We'll see if this works. <laughs> I think so, but so, cause this is an interesting concept, right? So you got to sort of play in the nine or the 10 to rip yourself apart deeply enough to break all the way down. So you can really understand that you should love yourself and that the, the comeback out of the zero and the one to the back to the top is that you finally stop trying to prove to yourself, not to the world that you're worth. I think that's the, that's the mission we're all on, but we don't realize it until it happens because it isn't in our consciousness because we think we're trying to prove to the world, I'm a good lawyer, I'm a good father, I'm a good business person, I'm a good runner. These are all these externalities and inside us, we're still fighting like crazy to just say, you know, I'm worthy. You know, someone love me. Oh, no, me love me, not someone else. And so there's that break, right? And what I think we don't allow for, this is my bridge, is feedback to help us make that happen without having to go to such an extreme in our lives. And so this is something you touch on a little, Amelia, with some of your comments about what should you say about someone? Like sometimes you feel like, oh my God, I can't say anything. Mm-hmm. You know, I got to a point in my career where I was taking it so seriously that the only way I could characterize it, I totally lost my sense of humor. I didn't laugh at anything. Like everything was just dead serious. People's lives depend on me. And I had to, you know, I was using cycling at the time to rip myself in half physically to just like burn everything out so that I would at least not, you know, jump off a building because I felt too accountable to that. And I'm sure there are people who would have loved to have been able to say stupid, <laughs> you know, like, but they knew it wasn't going to break through, but they also right. didn't do it either because they sort of let you stay there because we're afraid to say something. There isn't enough trust. We're not, we don't know how to take it because it's critical because we're really fighting ourselves. I mean, I know this is like yeah. I'm making a mess of this point here. No, but- I get what you're saying. Yeah. But like, so then how do we help each other a little? Because we can all go through the process that you went through. I could tell you my story. I finally had it much older than you. And and I am happy for that moment because there's a lot more peace that comes in your life. But boy, I bet you could get there sooner if we could find a way. So so with your thinking about this, because you have to think about all these people who could use some help, we have to be very careful. Like what has to evolve for us to be able to help each other better? Yeah, I mean, because that's a very hard question because I tell people, especially with, with eating disorders, with any type of mental illness, with any type of addiction, like you can't force somebody to get better and you can't force somebody else to confront their own demons to do that until they are personally ready themselves. Like, look, like I was in and out of treatment facilities because other people wanted me to be there, not because I wanted to be there. But there is that question of like, as you said, how do we stop people from falling to that one or that two? Can we catch people and kind of open their eyes and get them to seek help or, you know, to not have to go to that depth? And it's tough because you're right. Like we don't want to say things. We don't want to piss people off. We don't want to cross boundaries what I've kind of learned and what really helped worked for me was people who approached it from a place of love and concern. Mm-hmm. And that, and, it, and you know, that, and here's the thing, somebody might be mad at you. Somebody might be mad at, at you for stepping in or for saying something out of line. And I was plenty angry at plenty of people over the years, but I remember those people who did. And you may not see it like immediately, but like, you will down the road. Mm. And that's what's so important. And so I tell, I, I spoke to someone the other day that's like my 15 year old daughter is struggling with this. Like how, how do I, what would you tell your 15 year old self? And I'm like, get help now. Because like the sooner, the sooner you start to address things, the easier it is to unlearn so many of those habits and so many things. Um, and like to, to dig yourself out of that hole. Mm -hmm. Um, so I actually, at this point, I'm pretty, 
I am pretty frank and upfront with people when I speak to them, if I'm concerned about them, loved ones, because it may in the short term hurt me, but in the long term, I, I almost wish more people had done that for me, to be, to be honest. Yeah. Right. And that's a lot of strength for me there. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, you know, I, I always kind of go back to the dominant monkey theories, right? Where, you know, you know, chimpanzees typically hang out in, in a group um, in the wild of 50 to 100. And there's typically one or two dominant monkeys within the group, right? And you could always tell who those dominant monkeys are typically because the other monkeys are always staring at that monkey, right? They're watching them, how they socialize. They watch them, how they hunt. They watch them, how they procreate yeah i know but it's it's a thing right and you know they did this study years ago where they ended up taking these you know these monkeys and they they starved them uh for th- you know for three meals so not starving starving but like they were hungry and they put them into one uh room that had two definite sides to the room right the one side of the room had monkey or had 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 bananas food water all the things that primitively you would want right when you're hungry the other side of the room had pictures and, and videos of the dominant monkey in the group. And hmm. over 80% of the time, where did the monkeys go? They looked at both sides and they went to go look at pictures of the dominant monkey, right? And hmm. they did this because they deemed that as being more primitively important than, than hunger at that time. And, you know, Amelia, I think this is, this is maybe a part of, this is how I see your legacy since you asked me and you said, hey, Dave, well, how, what is my legacy? <laughs> Here's your legacy is yeah. you're a dominant monkey. You know, you are in a chimpanzee group and everybody's staring at you. And some would argue that humans and chimpanzees aren't very much different when it comes to the posterior brain. And I would agree, right? And so ultimately people are watching you, right? And people are looking upon you and going, okay, oh my goodness. I've got an eating disorder. I feel this, I feel this. And you are the pinnacle of strength. Um, you and the LeBron Jameses of the world, you know, you guys have this incredible power. And by you being as vulnerable and brave as you were, you know, you just opened that door for people to be brave for their next generation. And, and you're teaching moms how to talk to their kids about this. And so, so, so you know, I, this isn't a question. This is a, a thank you, Amelia. Um, and thank you for doing that because I've got three kids yeah. and I don't have the strength to do what you did publicly. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. I also like the chimpanzee analogy because I was an anthropology major in college. So I said, right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. but yeah, I mean, I think the number one best, like along those lines of the question that you asked is that, the number one best way is to like, is to lead by example, honestly. And when right. you see somebody, I went into treatment at this facility because I saw another professional runner who had gone there like the year before. And then it's almost like, and somebody's like, oh, if she can do it, then I can do it too. And I, I think in so many ways that that's, that's what's important, you know, is if you live your life in a way that's meaningful and true to you, and then other people see that and, and have the strength to be able to do that, you know? No doubt. I think that we're hitting an era where there's a lot of other changes that are going on around us that like sometimes I don't understand what a non-binary person is, for example. We can't figure out how to be inclusive. We're dividing in ways that we can't even decide one vote in the U.S. on a Republican versus a Democrat. Like it's not even thinking anymore. It's just partisan and and in that i think any of us who are in a position where there are some responsibility we have for broader than ourselves i think it's it's incumbent on us to both be vulnerable like i don't know what to say about like the gender stuff and i'm asking questions then i'm like oh teach me because i don't know and when you do that, the people around you actually, one, will help. Number two, they actually respect you in a different way because you're showing that you really do care. And if you make a mistake, just say you're sorry. Oh, I was supposed to call them another pronoun. Sorry, I got it wrong. And they're like, oh, yeah, don't worry about it. But we, it's just, it's not the exact same point, but it is about this caring community that we need to create care about someone who has an eating disorder or someone who has a learning disability or just doesn't feel socially you know with it or whatever it might be 
And I think for all of us, we have this opportunity to step in more and not just be there for ourselves as a leader in our community. And I think that that's something I'd like to see happen more because, you know, I think we, one thing I have learned having been around the planet for a while is it's really hard to be mad at someone when they say sorry. And it's really hard to say no when you say, can you help me? And there are like, we're just suckers for that, like in a good way. And so, you know, as we go along, I don't know if, you know, there's a, a roadmap per se, but we can role model behavior and people do copy it. You know, one of the things, Amelia, you know, like when you said before, you know, I have this big following that I might lose if I became pickleball. <laughs> um, I think that the identity we would want is this identity where you've become sort of a, you know, a leader in your own right, that I would hope that doesn't happen and people want to hear from you in the same way because the messages should be thematically similar. Uh, and maybe we shouldn't say, oh, it's okay if you lose whatever number of thousands of you know, followers, because to Dave's point, maybe it really is important that people hear from you. So there is a little bit of pressure on you there to, to keep it going, you know? Mm -hmm. Do you feel that? Do you feel some kind of like daily pressure or obligation to be a voice? You know, that's a good question. I don't, I think there are some times where I'm like, oh, maybe I should speak up more, get involved in this or do this. But I also think I know that when I speak and what I talk about are things that are very meaningful to me. Mm. And I always kind of want to have that ethos is that that's, I will speak about things that I care about. And those things are not always going to be running really long distances and doing stupid races, you know? Mm -hmm. And I, and I think that that should be celebrated and encouraged. Um, you know, but it, there is always that thing. I'll, I would be lying if you don't think in the back of your mind, you're like, well, no, I'm pigeonholed. This is what people want from me. But I think that true leaders can transition through different phases of life in different areas, you know, and for me, from OCR to then going into ultra running, then going into eating disorder recovery, then fostering dogs and doing random things. And who knows what's next for me? Uh, but, you know, I think that that's, if anything, I'm just trying to be like, you know, the people that matter, the people that celebrate you and all aspects of you and you as a human. Absolutely. And at the end of the day, like that is what you're going to remember, not the number of followers you have on Instagram. <laughs> I hope not. At least no one is yeah. going to be, it's funny. As so I was like, what will people say at your eulogy? She had a lot of Instagram followers. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's, it, that's a good point. You know, there is, there is a time to talk. There's a time to, to, to say what's on your mind, but you know, Amelia, you take, you, you, you strike me as a very, very intelligent person and most intelligent people tend to listen more than they talk. Yeah. And so, you know, there's a time to listen as well too. There's a time to give back to animal rescue foundations and there's a time for, for everything. And you kind of alluded to it a bit, Amelia. You, you said, you know, you know, I've done this, I've done that. I've, I'm now doing this, you know, what's, you know, what's in the future, you know? <laughs> Ultimately, Amelia, what's, What's next for you? What's, what's, what are you doing to chase tomorrow? What am I doing to chase tomorrow? I am looking for my next thing. Um, Cause I always. Pickleball. Pickleball. No, I, I know. I know. <laughs> I unfortunately think it's going to involve a bike. Uh, <laughs> Imagine that. I yeah. know. I actually, somebody today brought up, they're like, cause I just got a mountain bike and they're like, you know, Amelia, you get good on that. Xterra is calling your name. Yes. Like, oh. Mm -hmm. so I just I always want to see the next hardest thing that I can do from like an athletic perspective and that that to me is pretty cool um you know so that 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 would be next on that front for sure yes there's some pretty cool gravel stuff you can start uh you might yeah. even have someone that you could go out riding with imagine. <laughs> I, I know yeah. maybe yeah. maybe yes yes just a piece I, of advice um yeah make them go in front because drafting really matters in cycling and there's no reason for your nose to be in the wind as the saying might go so there you go 
<laughs> I think uh, we're, we're on to a plan. Yeah. yeah, I think, you know, we uh, we love this kind of discussion because really at the end of the day, um, we're all trying to figure it out. And uh, we've had quite a few interesting people through sort of, you know, their own recovery in life, you know, whether it was Tommy or Jonathan or, you know, Sean, who went through these really hard moments in their lives. And I think that we always, you know, Dave and I have this sort of like eternal optimism in our hearts about what's possible for us. And sometimes that's what we choose to do. Um, and then, you know, if I was to say, if there was any one thing I learned, it was that you don't need permission to live the big life that you want to live. And, you know, don't wait for that, just go do it. And you've done that. And it's fun to, uh, you know, we could be the fanboys for Amelia Boone, and maybe you could send us an autographed copy of something one day. In the meantime, thanks for being on the show and being, you know, who you are, because that's what matters to us and to everyone else listening and following you. So good job. Thanks. Thank you. Appreciate it. Love the conversation. Thanks, Amelia. Thank you. Dave, it took us a while to get Amelia on the show, but I think it was just perfect timing. It's just such an awesome conversation with an awesome person. I, I agree with you. People like Amelia have a bigger role to play as a role model for others. And we're better for it when we can see, you know, different parts of their life and how they take their experience and share it so we can do better for ourselves. Um, yeah, that was just an extraordinary episode. Okay, well, there you have it. Another fantastic episode brought to you by our sponsor, Performance Tea. Check out their Endurance Electrolyte Blend. Half and half lemonade iced tea. Tastes delicious and works amazingly well. Use Chasing20 on www.performancetea.com to get 20% off your purchase. And please tell your friends about listening to our podcast. Give us a review and keep coming with us on this journey of chasing tomorrow. Thanks very much.